Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. boy I know you're always excited my best friend right here in the second row all right father we thank you so much for what you want to do in this wonderful house today Lord we just ask that you would come and you would speak a word Lord we thank you that it's your word that has authority it's your word that is active and alive and powerful and like a double-edged sword and it has the ability to shape and sculpt our lives say God would you come Would you sow that seed into our heart and would you shape our hearts? Would you landscape our hearts this morning, God? We want to hear from you. And Father, by the power of your Spirit, we don't want to walk out the same people as how we walked in. Would you change us somehow today, God? Would you speak to us through your word in Jesus' name? And everybody said, Amen. Beautiful. Well, I would love to jump straight in this morning. I'm ready if you are. Are you ready? You guys are amazing. I love you so much already. Okay, beautiful. Well, let's let's look at Deborah because she is the fourth judge in a list of 12 in the entire book. And I just want to quickly, if you'll allow me to paint a bit of a picture of the biblical context that we find Deborah in. Um, This is what I love to do. I actually um, teach, I've been teaching on Bible study and biblical overview to uh, discipleship training schools for about 10 years now. And my favorite thing to do is just unpack the Bible. I just love it. And so if you don't like teaching this morning, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but we're going to go there. Um, And case so when we find Deborah in Judges chapter 4, God's people at this point in history Um, when she ruled, they are being oppressed by the enemies of God, the Canaanites at that time in that generation. Now, the word Canaanite literally means to vanquish, humiliate, and oppress. That's what it means, okay? And this is exactly what the Canaanites are doing to the nation of Israel at the time. This is where God's people are at. And so they're humiliated because the Canaanites have stripped them off their weapons, okay, and completely taken over the land. And as a result, where we find the nation of Israel, they are oppressed, they are afflicted, they are despondent and hopeless, and they are just without a voice and without a hope. And so what they do is they cry out to God for a miracle because only a miracle can save them now, all right? If you've ever read the book, this is the theme that traces throughout the entire book. So they cry out to God for a miracle. And so it's into this setting and context that God raises Deborah up as a leader and a judge over the nation. Come on, girls. Yes, love it. Okay, so her leadership, her calling and her life was the miracle that the people were crying out for. All right, beautiful. And the Reformed theologians just don't know what to do with her, right? Because she she doesn't fit anybody's box. We're like, where do you fit in the Old Testament story? But she's there and she's there for a reason, okay? And so if we could go to our key passage this morning, we might have it up on the screens. Judges chapter four, beautiful. We're gonna read these two verses here. And it says, Deborah was a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth. She was judge over Israel at that time. She held court under Deborah's palm between Ramah and Bethel in the hills of Ephraim. The people of Israel went to her in matters of justice. 
All right, so when I say judge, um, I don't want you to think of a courtroom judge with a curly white wig. The Hebrew word for judge is shorpat. It's actually a many-layered picture of justice. Um, Hebrew speaks in pictures. It doesn't speak in words, okay? So it's actually a picture of justice. And they, they weren't so much, uh, they were in charge of legislative stuff, but they were more like a chief than what we would picture a judge to be, or in this case, a chief test. All right, so they were the political, religious, and military leaders of the nation. That's what this role is, just so we're all on the same page here. Okay, so basically picture Bron with, with like a tribal headdress, okay? And she's not in a chair. It's you, like she's you, but you know, you're under a palm tree, okay? You're not in a seat. And that, this is where we're at in this story. So Deborah carries the Bronny anointing, all right? She wears about six different hats. Okay, as we can see, people come to her for prophetic insight and wisdom and justice, all right? That's what they're coming to her for. And she's even got an office with her name on it. It's called Deborah's Palm. And some people, when they preach on Deborah, they're like, oh, she gets to relax under her palm tree. No, in Scripture, it's a seat of government. That's what that role actually was, okay? So it's super significant, all right? She is a boss girl. And so at this point in Scripture, she's at her post, She's using her gifts. She's exercising her faith. She's doing stuff for the kingdom of God. And she kind of seems to be at capacity, right? But there comes this moment where God speaks to her prophetically and requires more of her. And this is where I want to sit this morning because she has a relationship with God. She's hearing from God. She even has a role in the kingdom of God. But evidently, God comes to her and he says, this is the Nikki paraphrase, but he says, I require more of you because I have a greater promise for you. All right? And so God, because God comes to her and he calls her into something bigger and greater than what she was already doing. And I'm going to let you know what that is in a minute. But as always, you're going to see throughout the whole book of Judges, as always, what he's asking her to do is ridiculous. It's ridiculous and it's illogical and it is just uncomfortable, okay? And this is going to keep happening throughout the book. And it kind of sums up our life in the kingdom of God, don't you think? Like just, there will always be more moments in the kingdom, in, on our journey. There's always going to be those moments where we're, we think we're at capacity and, you know, we're serving God or we're doing whatever, but he's going to require more of us, right? He's going to come to us just when we get comfortable, just when we get content in what we're doing, he comes and he requires more. All right, so here is the more moment for Deborah. I'm going to read you two more verses and then we'll move on. It's in verses 6 and 7 from chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles this morning. And it says, One day she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. He is the general, the military general of their teeny tiny little army. And she says, this is what the Lord, God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and, uh, and Zebulun. I'll take care of getting Sisera. He's, he's like Hitler. He's the, enemy, he's the enemy military general. She's like, I'll take care of him. What a bus. Okay, the leader of Jabin's army to the Kishon River with all his chariots. Everybody say chariots. So I know you're listening. And troops. I'll make sure, she says, you win the battle. Okay, this girl has guts, okay? Let me break down what God is calling her to do. He's saying, gather your tiny weaponless army. 
and go to the plains to take on your giant enemy who is oppressing a whole generation of people. This is what he's asking. This isn't a parable. This really happened in history, right? Okay, this is pretty amazing. And the reason I read that passage to you just then is because the plains might not mean much to you, but geographically, it is the place where the enemy had the greatest tactical advantage in the battle, right? Because the enemy, the Canaanites, had the weapons of mass destruction. They had the chariots, and the chariots always worked best on the plains. It's where they're most effective. So why is God asking her to lead their army with no weapons, by the way, to the plains? Why, 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 would, why would he tell her to go to where the enemy is strongest and has the greatest advantage when this army is already feeling vulnerable and weak? It is completely bizarre. It is an illogical, bizarre, counterintuitive strategy, right? It makes no sense and it's literally impossible to win. Don't you love God's instructions? Like, <laughs> so fun, okay? But God, nevertheless, all of this, he promises victory. He promises Deborah victory. He promises salvation and justice to her broken and oppressed nation of people. What a massive promise. What a massive promise. But the sacrifice attached to it what he is asking of her is equally as massive, right? Because to experience the promise, to grab a hold of it, she's going to have to push through. And that army too, their fears, intimidation, a whole lot of intimidation, impossible odds, challenge, and a whole lot of discomfort. But here's what I know about God. If he's asking it of you, he's going to give the power to you right? God never asks things of us that he won't spiritually empower us to accomplish. Are you with me? I know there's some people in here who may be facing impossible odds and challenge and adversity, right? He's going to give the power to you. This is what he does. The promise prevails, but it doesn't mean, and this is where I'm really going this morning, it doesn't mean we won't have to push through some discomfort and challenge, right? The greater the call, the greater the requirement, right? The greater the promise, the greater the sacrifice. Is that okay? You know, it's a totally Western concept to avoid sacrifice and pain for the promise. Did you know that? It's totally Western concept. In the Middle East, they don't think like that. Certainly not in the Bible. Actually, sacrifice is just a regular kingdom principle, right? But we live in a culture, I mean, let's just get real in here this morning, we live in a culture that is so afraid of the push. Would you agree with me? We are so, we so struggle to cope, me included, with the idea of being uncomfortable, right? Like we, we are so, and I think it's in the DNA of humanity in general, but particularly Western culture, we are just so afraid to be uncomfortable, right? And, and we are so passionate about comfort. So we'll do everything in our power to be comfortable in every way, you know, financially comfortable, emotionally comfortable, socially comfortable, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Right now, I am, I am window shopping for mattresses. Would you have it? Like, I mean, I mean, it's time. It's been seven years. We got given one as a wedding gift, which makes a great wedding gift, just so you know. But we got given one, and now it's like time to get a new one. And I had no idea how expensive mattresses were. 
Were you aware? I was shocked because I'm like, are you serious? People pay thousands of dollars for mattresses. And I was so, I don't know what to do because I can't afford that. So I'm, I'm like, help me, somebody. But, but wow, it struck me. I was like, we invest so much for the sake of comfort, don't we? Right? Because comfort is the precursor to sleep. So we're willing to invest in our comfort. And I just want to ask this morning, are we willing to invest as much in the call. Is that okay? Are we willing to invest in as much in the call? Because although you and I cling to our comfort, we just do, I don't think God is nearly as interested in our comfort as he is in our calling, right? Because as I said, comfort is the precursor to sleep. It is really, really hard to get to sleep if you're uncomfortable, right? Take it from someone who's been pregnant three times. Like, you just don't sleep for nine months because it is so uncomfortable. I'm so glad I'm not pregnant right now. But, <laughs> but it's really hard to get to sleep when we're uncomfortable. And I think God isn't that invested in our comfort because he needs a church that is awake, right? We don't want to get so comfortable that we fall asleep on the job. Is that okay? In fact, I might even be bold enough to say this morning that your comfort and calling don't mix. And let me just make a disclaimer on the calling of God this morning. Can I, can I help us define it or maybe just simplify it a little bit? Because we love to hear about our calling in God. We love to hear about you know, what are we called to? And we talk about it and we preach about it. But how does one really define it, right? Because we know biblically we are called individually and collectively into salvation. We know that much. But, but what is my unique, special, specific role that I play in the kingdom of God? What is my calling, right? Well, let me simplify it for you this morning, church, if I can. Your calling, your role, your destiny within the kingdom of God is always going to be about the salvation and freedom of others, right? If I could, if I could summarize your calling in one word, it would be others. Is that all right? Your calling, your destiny is actually about, it's intrinsically connected to the generation outside those doors. Amen. See, and, and the, I say that because sometimes we can't help it. We can get a little bit introspective about the calling of God upon our lives. Right? Like, what has God called me to do? You know, where has God called me to go? What are my gifts? What aren't my gifts? So I can make sure I don't serve in the wrong ministry, right? Like, what, what do I feel led to do? What's going to make me feel happy to serve? And then we're right back to comfort again, okay? We're right back to being comfortable again. And then we can't help it. We're addicted to it. It's not our fault. Well, it is. But you know what I'm saying. But we don't come to church to be comfortable, Oh, is that okay? I hope I don't ruffle feathers this morning. But we don't come just to get our favorite seat and listen to our favorite songs and then get mad if someone else sits in our seat and make sure we get really good coffee. No, no, no. We are gathered here this morning, breathing oxygen together in this wonderful building because we are called to go after a promise. Okay? And let me tell you, that promise is people. 
That promise is a generation that is outside those four walls who are hurting and oppressed and crushed and afflicted. Come on, somebody. And God has promised that He's going to use us, the church, to deliver them into salvation and freedom. What a promise. Amen. Somebody say amen. That is a promise. So we're not here for the coffee this morning, although I'm sure the coffee is awesome because I had some. But we're not here for that. We're not here just to get Holy Spirit goosebumps in worship. Although I'm Pentecostal through and through, so I love the Holy Spirit goosebumps, okay? But let me tell you, we are here because the church is the missionary strategy, bizarre as it is, the missionary strategy designed by God to rescue a generation. Do you agree with me today? Yes, what a promise, what a calling. There's no room in this place for anybody to feel like they are insignificant and that they don't matter in the kingdom of God. There is no room for that thought. For you to think your life doesn't matter whether you are male or female, young or old, whether you're from Tamworth or Byron, amen? Because this is the promise and it's for all of us. But just because the promise is given, it doesn't mean we don't have to push through some challenge some fear, some intimidation maybe, some adversity to grab a hold of it. See, Deborah had to push for the promise. I, I was going to title this message, Pushing for the Promise. Then my husband Paul was like, that sounds way too much like labor. And then <laughs> it's like, it's too graphic. And then I was like, well, you didn't do any of the pushing. So you know what? Anyway, so the title of my message is Pushing for the Promise. Okay. And I was like, great idea, Paul. That's his name. He is a saint. But seriously, that's the title of my message. It is a great analogy for what I'm talking about. Who has experienced labor before? Boys, put your hands down. Okay. Don't make it weird. <laughs> but don't get awkward. Just get grateful, boys. Okay. All right. <laughs> but if you want to hold and experience that promise that you got a glimpse of in the ultrasound, you, all the ladies know there is going to be some pushing, some challenge, and some pain in between. Okay. And all the mum said, <laughs> Deborah got a prophetic ultrasound, if you like, when God gave her that word, when God gave her the promise for her generation and then the bizarre strategy to go with it. You know, when he said, your nations, they're going to be rescued, they're going to be saved, I'm going to use you to do it. She got like a glimpse of the future, a foreshadow, if you like, if what could be. But if she wanted to experience that promise, I mean, if she wanted to apprehend it and not just comprehend it, you know what I'm saying? She was going to have to push. She was going to have to push through the battle on the plains. She was going to have to push through the vulnerability of going into war with no weapons. She was going to have to push through the resistance of being a woman leader in a patriarchal culture of the old covenant. Yes, she wasn't supposed to speak in public, let alone lead an army. She was going to have to push for the promise. Church, we've got to push for the promise. You know, there's a promise in this house, I believe. And I know you've pushed already. You have pushed and you've sacrificed and you've served and you've invested even to see this wonderful building and to, to have built what you've already built as a church. I know that you've pushed for that. But I want to tell you this morning that there's more. There's more for this church. I actually had a dream. I'm a dreamer. I had a dream about this church on, it was Thursday night or Friday night, I think. Um, 
And I won't tell you everything that I saw in the dream now. You can ask me later after the service. But, but I, it is my belief, because I had that dream, that there is a great promise for this house. There is a great promise for this house. I saw thousands. Yeah, I saw thousands. I saw multiple campuses. But the influence and the significance of this church is much greater than even you think it is now. And I just want you to remember that the greater the promise, the greater the push. Are you ready for it? The bigger the house, the bigger the sacrifice, all right? And we don't go after numbers, we go after people. And I want to ask you this morning, are you willing to go to the battlefield for the souls that we are going to one day see inside this building? Are we willing to go? Pastor Bron gave expression to it when she said, we would love you to serve because, because it can't happen if we don't serve. It can't happen if we don't sacrifice and invest, Amen. What are we investing in this morning? Because on the other side of the push, the promise is found. And I wonder this morning, even individually, if there's some promises unfulfilled. Because we like the concept of the promise, but not the reality. Because we didn't know we had to get uncomfortable to see it happen. We didn't realize we were going to have to labor for the promise. You know, maybe you've got a deep sense of the call of God on your life or someone's given you a prophetic word. People have spoken over your life. God's given you a specific promise and you haven't seen it come to pass yet. But we can't be passive about this church, right? We've got to labor for the promise. And I want to show you this as I sort of pull this together with Deborah because there's this really intriguing little secret key hidden in this story and it's within her name. Names are super important in the Bible, by the way. Um, highly, highly significant. In fact, in Hebrew culture, when they named a child, it carried so much more weight than it does today, right? They didn't Google top 10 celebrity names for ancient Israel, whatever. <laughs> it's super important. Actually, when they named their child, it was always to be a prophetic declaration over their life and destiny. Did you know that? That's why when God changes names in the Bible, it's super important. He's in the business of changing names and destinies. But, but so names are important. And so when, you know, you look up the definition of Deborah's name, you're kind of like, what's it going to be? Victory for the people or deliverer of the promise. Um, but it doesn't mean any of those things. It actually just means honeybee. I know, I was a little underwhelmed as well. Um, you're like, where is she going with this? <laughs> I know, I know, a bit of a letdown. Is there any Debras in here this morning? I hope you will like me at the end, I promise. Um, but Honeybee is interesting. And I thought, what were her parents prophesying over her when they named her that? And what were they doing? And then I remembered that God actually uses animals to illustrate kingdom principles, doesn't he? Proverbs speaks of the ant to illustrate hard work. Jesus is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah to illustrate his strength. The lamb, to illustrate his sacrifice, were called to be, what is it, calculating as serpents and innocent as doves. And so this is all throughout scripture. I could go on. So what if the honeybee? And then I realized as I was studying the honeybee, as, as you do, um, it's the perfect illustration of pushing through difficulty. See, allow me to tell you about the life of the honeybee, because I'm sure you definitely don't know. <laughs> but it starts off right in a hexagonal cell, the tiny little baby bee. And then it has just enough honey stored in that cell to last it till maturity. And it's sealed in that cell with a capsule of wax. 
Are you with me still? Right, so when the tiny bee has fed itself on the honey and exhausted its supply, the time has come for it to emerge into the open. This is how it works. Creation is amazing. But to emerge is not easy for the bee, right? The struggle is real because there is one narrow passage to get to the other side. And guess what? It's through that tough, resistant capsule of wax. It's the only way out, right? Okay? So the bee, <laughs> you definitely didn't come to church to hear about bees, but I'm from Byron. This is what we do. Just deal with it. So the bee has to strain and struggle and wrestle and tussle and just push through that capsule of wax to get to the other side. But here's the punchline, right? Here's my point. In the agony of the exit, the bee actually rips off the membrane that was hiding its wings. And on the other side of pushing through is able to fly and actually do what it was designed to do. Okay, can you see where I'm going with this? Yes, because oh, creation is incredible. Once it's free, once it's on the other side, do you know what that honeybee spends its entire life doing? It serves. It serves the hive. They're hard little workers, these bees. They literally just serve and they, they serve the queen bee. Note the illustration to royalty there. And, and they, they build the hive. It's incredible. And they saw in this whole new environment and freedom that they had no idea existed when they were in that introspective little shell cell. But because of the push, it gets to do what it was designed to do. Amen. So maybe Deborah's parents, when they named her honeybee, they were prophesying an ability to push through adversity and challenge for the sake of a generation. May it be said of us, church. May it be said of this church. May it be said of me and you when we stand before the Father one day and give account for our lives that we pushed through adversity and challenge for the sake of a generation who was oppressed and hurting and broken and afflicted. Come on, church. we got to forsake comfort for the calling. Are we willing to do that this morning? Are we willing to sacrifice for somebody else's salvation because there is always a cost for the call in the kingdom of God? There's, it will always require sacrifice and you will always lose something. But the best thing is what you lose is just the stuff that holds you back, right? We're like that little bee. We just shed the stuff like the insecurity, our ego, our selfish ambition. That's what gets ripped off us so we can do what we're called to do. Amen. Amen, right? We, we don't have to worry about losing stuff when we serve and sacrifice for the kingdom of God. We don't have to. Do you think the bee complains about the sacrifice that it made that gave it its wings? No, it doesn't because the bee is free. <laughs> the bee is free. Amen. Beautiful. I, I would love to invite the musicians up here as I pull this together this morning. I just love teaching through the narrative of Deborah. It's one of my favorites because uh, her story here points to a much grander story. Yes? The Bible is what we call a meta-narrative, which is kind of just a fancy word to mean that lots of little stories are kind of telling the same story. They're all pointing to this greater giant story or giant narrative, right? And this is what Deborah is doing. 
or the story of Deborah. And I wonder if you've heard that story before. It's the story of ultimate sacrifice for the ultimate promise. Yes, you know this story. It is the story that is told at the cross. Come on, somebody. Jesus Christ. He, do you realise who He is? He is the greater judge. He is the judge that this entire story and this entire book is pointing to. He is the greater judge. He is the miracle that a broken humanity is crying out for. And that judge came and he went down to the plains of Calvary. Yes, he went down to the plains. And what he did, he took on the ultimate enemy. He took on the ultimate enemy who thought he had with his little army of demons the greatest tactical advantage. Yes, he said, surely Jesus isn't going to come and try and conquer me in my area of strength. Surely he isn't going to take me on with death. All right, that's where the enemy is strongest, right? That's his tactical advantage is death. Surely Jesus isn't going to try and come and take me on here. How illogical. How bizarre, how counterintuitive that Jesus Christ, God in flesh, would go to the cross and actually try and take on death. It didn't make sense at the time. But Jesus pushed through the greatest adversity, the greatest challenge, come on, the greatest resistance and intimidation. But the sacrifice of Christ was the precursor to the promise. Amen, church. And this promise, come on, this promise was not the salvation of one nation in one generation, but it was every tribe, every tongue, every nation for generations and generations and generations until all eternity. Come on, somebody. This is the gospel. Hallelujah. What a promise. What a promise salvation and justice for all humanity. What a promise. Hallelujah. This greater judge has delivered us from oppression and brokenness into freedom and salvation. Is that good news for you this morning? And guess what? Your life tells that story. Your sacrifice tells the story of salvation. Yes, your service tells the story of the promise. So come on, church, let's go after the promise. Amen. You're ready to go after the promise. Yes, come on. The Bible says, ask and the nations will be given to you as your inheritance. Guess what? Your inheritance isn't buildings, it's people. It's people who are saved and healed and whole and in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that worth giving Him praise this morning? Why don't you give Him praise and make a noise in here? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith, or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.